Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog to lay. the gates hey what's up all you the fuckers what the fuck mix and what the fuck it's ah oh, man i'm still i'm trying messing around with different intros cory and i still haven't got one that's unique to us and, and very good so i've been trying out other people's none of them are working you got any suggestions well i, I thought i was watching the movie titanic there because i had this poncy english <laughs> accent saying lock the gate <laughs> it should be i didn't know what that the was gates <laughs> that's from uh mark Marin. what the fuck oh the big, okay the big podcast yeah, yeah. i prefer well, my titanic reference that's That'll be season two. We're going to do a Celine Dion. I mean, that would be fun in a very specific way. It'd be torturous in a very specific other way. <laughs> um, well, we should all joking aside, folks, this is the Ultimate Catalog Clash where myself and Corey Morissette take on the discography of one artist per season to find out which record will emerge as the champion. We rate one side of each record in an episode and rank the songs on music lyrics and production and at the end of the episode we'll each have a score out of 25 to award to this side of the album once we've done both sides we'll have a total score out of 100 and to add a little spice we have a, a little competition between the two of us to see who gets to pick the next artist and in the season wrap episode for phil collins era genesis which is what we're covering this season we'll have a system to determine which of us came out on top so to speak mm -hmm. so how are you doing tonight Corey? i'm doing really well actually i was uh you know working on my uh my abacab uh, rankings here and i was just looking back because we haven't really done this uh talk about the uh, first four albums that we covered on here and where they're ranking uh you know in our uh rankings here so a trick of the tail is the first album uh 73 and a half percent uh pretty good grade on that one wind and withering uh, came in at 72 percent and then there were three at 65 and a half percent so that's by far the lowest rated album thus far and uh duke which we just finished off last week 74 and a half percent that's the current leader uh, is Duke, does that surprise you at all, four albums in, that, that Duke is winning so far? No, I think, I wonder if some of it partially is because, you know, as we've discussed, you're not really that much of a prog guy. And so it was a bit of a, a, bit, a, bit of a jarring thing for you to come into this stuff where you thought Phil Collins' era was one thing, but you've learned that there was these, these, these prog albums. So I'm wondering if some of that is just you getting a little bit more attuned to that as we've gone on where, where, when we got to Duke, because it was still proggy, but it, was but it also had that sort of, more you know traditional genesis production that you used to i wonder if that's part of it but i i thought it would be, be between trick and, and duke i kind of thought but i'm kind of glad to see duke come out on top well and duke was the first time where i rated an album higher than you did uh, i gave it 38 out of 50 you gave it 36 and a half out of 50. A curmudgeon, hey? yeah <laughs> and, and trick was the opposite i gave it a 35 you gave it a 38 and a half so I love Trick of the Tail. When I got my Trick of the Tail, I think I showed you, didn't I? I got my yellow album. I got my And I've also, Corey, speaking of uh, colored vinyl, I did get my uh, Brian May and friends, including Mr. Edward Van Halen, red vinyl Starfleet project. And does it live up to the hype? It absolutely does in every single way. Like, you know, there's not, you know, because when I got it, my wife said, oh, you don't have this album. I said, well, uh, I've got the album. I've got the songs, but I don't have this version of this album. And it's a remaster. It sounds phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, for a nerd who wants to sit and listen to two guys noodle in the studio, that's exactly what it is. It's just all the outtakes. Everything they recorded is on those discs. So you've heard, what, about 14 different versions of uh, the song Starfleet right now? 
False false starts, alternate <laughs> endings, alternate beginnings. Yeah, I've heard them all. I loved every single one of them. That is a deep dive, let me tell you. I don't know if I, like, I love Brian May. I love Eddie Van Halen. I don't know if I would get that entire big box set for that price to listen to two songs and 30 different versions of those two songs. <laughs> well, there's interviews on there. And it's the packaging too, right? Because they've got this big booklet. And just seeing that big, doof, goofy grin of Eddie Van Halen, just it warms the cockles of your heart, right? It, it really does, yeah. That, that That's a smile that just lights up the world. Absolutely. Miss that guy, man. He just, I know he wasn't like super young when he died, but he definitely wasn't super old. And I think he still had, I think he still had good stuff in him, regardless of whether Van Halen 3 and a different kind of truth were the peak of what they did creatively. I think there was still stuff there that he could have done. So. I know just a treasure trove of like outtakes and riffs and stuff that he had working on uh, sitting in his vault. Will anything ever come of it? A la uh, a remaster uh, box set down the road? Probably not, but you know, we can always hold out hope. We know what's funny too is the band that we're covering this season, Genesis. You don't get a lot of that with Genesis. You know, there's I don't think there's an archive of stuff. I think they basically tended to use and finish everything that they thought was good enough, and all the other stuff just really didn't get further than demos. So I don't even know if those demos are kicking around now, which again would be kind of interesting to hear. But it would probably be you know 18 minutes of Tony Banks just fucking around with the sounds on his Prophet Five and coming up with. All kinds of horseshit. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. What I what I would hope for for Genesis is uh, give me some more live stuff. Yeah, like uh, well, when I was younger, uh, the way we walk live, uh, the shorts and the longs, uh, two of my favorite live records of all time. And I'm like, yeah. you know, give me a full show from the We Can't Dance tour. Give me a full show from the Invisible Touch tour, from the Self Title tour, uh, even from like the Duke tour. That'd be f- like fantastic. Yeah, because they did the. They did a, D, did a couple of DVDs. I think they did for for the Invisible Touch tour and We Can't Dance. There's definitely sort of DVD performances, but I don't think they ever came out on vinyl. Now that you've said no. that, I have to look into that, Corey. I don't think they did. I think you're right. I never came out on CD either for that matter. Well, the We Can't Dance did. That was the uh, the shorts and the longs. Yeah. But the Invisible Touch uh, that never was reissued or released on anything other than the uh, the VHS tape, I guess, back in '86. Yeah. Yes, folks, we are old enough. <laughs> to remember VHS tapes and Betamax. I remember Betamax. It didn't go anywhere, but I remember it. <laughs> that, that was the big war, Beta versus VHS. And B- Beta was the uh, dominant, was the better format, but VHS won. It was kind of like uh, uh, HD DVD and Blu-ray. HD DVD was actually the better product, but Blu-ray had more corporate support and it won out. Absolutely better marketing. I used to own a video store, so I, I, I know useless <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> okay. Well... Let's, uh, without further ado, because that's, that's quite a lot of ado up at the top here. What album are we starting to cover today, Corey? We are starting Abacab, which, as you explained last show, uh, was named after uh, a song structure. Uh, like, uh, usually, uh, and used for, you know, the verse was A, uh, B was maybe a bridge, C was a verse. Uh, how are you described it? I know uh, yeah. Mike kind of described it just as bits. We had the A bit, we had the B bit, we had the C bit, and they would mix them all around. And at one point, it was arranged uh abacab a-b-a-a-c-a-b uh yeah. that isn't how it finished but they there was one version like i don't think they just liked how it sounded uh so they went with the word abacab so it really doesn't mean anything but um for this kind of track it's kind of apropos well it's great too right because i remember listening to that phil collins interview and he says yeah you know so so yeah verse chorus verse bridge verse chorus would be abacab and he said, so it started out like that, but then he said, by the end of it, you, you couldn't make a word out of it because <laughs> the structure just went all to shit, which I, when we get into it, obviously, and listeners, I'm, I'm assuming you probably do know some Genesis. And if you do know some Genesis, this is one of the ones you're going to know. The structure is definitely not Abacab in any way, shape or form. 
I, I found this great quote from Phil Collins saying, uh, A is Booker T in the MGs, B is the Rolling Stones, and C is Friday on my mind. So, <laughs> I love it. He also basically said, I mean, means absolutely nothing. <laughs> one of the things that was cool about this one too, though, um, is it is that, you know, that big step away from prototypical Genesis. And they lost a lot of hardcore fans over this. You know, they said they were playing um, a place called Leiden in Holland. Um, and they were booed every time they played a track from Abacab. So people were literally wow. just sort of drowning out the music and booing because they didn't want to hear this new shit, right? But it's funny because, you know, I, I think some of that is a product of them coming together and writing more as a three-piece. Because Phil said they came together and they worked as three members of a band rather than bringing individual songs. Because there's only three individual rights on this album. All the rest are core rights, apart from the lyrics, obviously. Um, but it, it gives it a different vibe. It changes the, the tone of it. And it, it's, it's got a, a sort of a specific intentionality to what direction they want to move in, I think. And I, I thought that was interesting. They actually visit, you know, set the rule. We're only going to bring out forward one like solo track, like one solo written track each. And uh, the rest they're going to write together. And they worked, what, 12-hour days for like two weeks uh, j just to get all the music and the lyrics and everything sorted out. And the the results are interesting. This wasn't a record. I, I heard a couple of these songs, obviously, nor reply at all, uh, Abacab on the odd occasion. But I hadn't really listened to a lot of this. So a lot of this was, again, a first-time listen for me and uh, really, really interesting. Oh, man, I'm I'm so jealous. To get to listen to this album with, like, I would love to be able to just go back and get to listen to this album for the first time again. <laughs> just to see, you know, I mean, it'd be kind of interesting to be able to, you know, do the Star Trek thing where you can just switch off your brain, go back and go, well, what do I think? Do I, do I, if listen to it the first time, would I love this album as much as I, you know, not to tip my hand too hard, but as much as I do, right? Because mm -hmm. you're always curious about that. Is, is it time? Is it nostalgia? Is it sort of repetition? Is it a grower? Is it a show? I don't know, right? I don't know. We're up a couple lines with that stuff. I tell you, there's one song you're going to get very mad at me about. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, we're only doing side one tonight, so I'm, I'm hoping it's... Well, okay. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You got, you got a one in four chance of hitting it tonight, but... Uh, <laughs> what do you say, Kev? Let's get right into it. This is Abacab. <laughs> We should probably stop there for copyright reasons, shouldn't we, Corey? <laughs> In a vague attempt to be going. legit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I think I told you uh, a little inside baseball here. It's been about a couple of weeks since I listened to Side One. You know, work and family and stuff kind of got in the way from us recording. But I think I told you for the last two, three weeks, I've had the song Abacab stuck in my head, and I'm not mad at it at all. Like, it just, yeah. it lives there rent-free, and I'm bopping around town now, uh, you know, singing this song in my head. I'm loving it. Like, this is, I think, easily my favorite intro to any album I've heard thus far out of the five that we've covered on this show. Well, it's great with those, that buzzsaw synth. It's so cool. And he stabs at it. It's, it's a really, it's a very specific sound and it's totally Genesis. No one else really does that sound. You know what I mean? Yes, doesn't do it. King Crimson doesn't do it. You don't have that anywhere else. It's just it's Genesis thing and a very specific Tony Banks thing. And it's so cool. It, it really, really is. And uh, you, you kind of get a little a, a domino sound in the guitar there, that you know, kind of yeah. reminiscent of domino. But to me, it was the rhythm section, like the, the bass and the drums on this, just that drive, that yeah it almost sounds like uh who made who from acdc just a you know a, just a great 
great beat on this and then with tony laying his keyboards on top just fit perfect well and the drums obviously because now you're getting because phil collins has done face value and hugh padgham has a huge influence on the sound of this record and it's a lot of it is in those drums right because i think he'd done the first time he tried using this um these gated drums was on a Susie and the Banshees album. They'd been messing around with it in like 1978 or something. And then he brought it to Peter Gabriel's third album, which is, you know, Peter Gabriel 3 or Melt. And it's on that album. And that's where Phil sort of kind of came across and thought, well, I wonder if we can do something with that. And then, of course, the famous story about In the Air Tonight when it was, you know, the sound was coming through the board and they realized that, oh, we can actually make that really flat, gated reverb sound a little bit easier than we've been doing it in the past. And so basically all it is for, you know, non-music nerds is it's compressed reverb so it's not a natural reverb it's not a room it's not the way that sound waves bounce off walls it's a synthetic thing and it compresses the sound down and what compression means is you take you know all the loudest bits and the quietest bits and, and take off the extremes of those and get this really clean flat sound in the middle and it's very dynamic and very unique and it's very very 80s I watched the uh, performance video of this too, and because uh, you, you get the three of them, Phil's playing and singing at the same time, and uh, I just love his vocal delivery on this, and I love his drumming on this song, and the drums sound great. Like uh, th this is one of the better mixed uh, songs that I've heard from Genesis out of these uh, initial five records. There's so much space in it, and it's something that Tony Banks um, commented on about this album is is when they really started to dial the synths back. And sort of not have the synths leading quite so much so it's not you know like on wind and weathering for example you've got that you've got the sort of the synth pad in there but you'd also probably have a big sweeping synth pad and maybe a little bit of piano or something we're filling that space where it doesn't need it this song like you said is about the rhythm section and i love that call and response between the the synth and the guitar where they're trading off right yes so it's again just expertly expertly produced Love those like uh, those melodic harmonies on the uh, Abacab there, right? Like uh, in the video, you see Mike and Tony playing it, but I don't know if they're actually singing on it. It sounds more like Phil, right, doubling himself. I'm pretty sure that's all Phil. I mean, they yeah. could have, they could be Tony and Mike in there, very, very low, just to fill it out a little bit. But the that high harmony is most definitely Phil Collins, hundred percent. But it's everything about that section is just cool because I was, you know, I'm, I'm driven along here and we're lo we're looking at each other on uh, on on video, folks. But that little that bell that Phil hits in that section, just keeping the four on the bell is, it gives it that dynamic. He's not playing on the hat. He's not, you know, he's not playing eights. He's just keeping that rhythm going. And then you've got that great keyboard progression underneath. Everything about it is just, yeah, makes me, makes me happy. Me too. Me too. I, I was having a rough day until I, I, all day I was thinking, I get to listen to the track Abacab again. And, and just, <laughs> it would brighten my day. Really 
I love Phil in the background going, da na 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 na. Yeah. That's like, you know, one of the other podcasts that you do uh, about Aerosmith. Steven Tyler does it over the top of the instrumentation at the inappropriate times. That's appropriate. That's when you should do it. And he did it in the video too, because they're showing Tony BC film in the background. He's done that. Yeah. <laughs> but I also like that key change into this one. You get that step up key change, right? Which again is a very Genesis thing to do. You don't you don't need it there really. But it, yeah. again, it just elevates that push into the next into the next section. And there's a bit coming up when we, we're going to roll this forward with these like killer squib. Like I have no other way to describe his squib uh, synth sounds when he sings, "You want it, you got it." And you got the double synth and the guitar. Anyway, let's. Oh man. <laughs> now, here's a question for you. That chat 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 chat. Do you think that's a really heavily pro processed vocal or is that a synth? Because I've never been sure on that. I don't know what that is, which is weird because I can usually you know, I think I've got a good enough ear by this point of listening to music critically for so long that I just but I can't pick that one out. I don't know what that is. Uh, to my ears, uh every time I've heard it, I thought it was a vocal. Yeah. But I'm, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> no, I think it is too, but I don't know for sure because it's also, it's like, well, it's really consistent. Unless they've sampled it. It could have been a sample of Phil or someone singing that chair thing. So I, God, who knows? Anyway. No, it, it adds, listen it to adds, it again. It, yeah, it, but it adds something in again, right? It adds something. It's a change the into the second verse. So yeah, give it a, throw it up again. Here we go. No, now I don't know because it, it played when he was singing it too. <laughs> so no, I don't think it is a vocal. Fuck, well, I, I mean that I that could be doubled easily, right? I mean that could have been it could have been overdubbed as well. So, I, but it's, yeah. it, it's just the sound of it. it's like it, I don't know. It's really clever because they're bastards and they've confused me, which I don't like. <laughs> so, Here, I thought I knew. Now I just have no idea. And I'm going to be pissed off the rest of the night. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> I'm, I'm docking this a full mark now on, on my score. <laughs> Dock me a mark. We still marks for each other on our, on our performance. <laughs> Kevin's down to a one and a half. All right. Shit. <laughs> So cool, all around the minor fifths. You know, and you think about it, when you look at this song, and the note I've made at this point is, this is the outro. We've now hit the outro of this song, really, at the halfway mark of the song. Only Genesis does that. <laughs> That's, you know, <laughs> and obviously most of this got trimmed off for the for the single edit, as, you know, obviously because you, you can't have a three-minute outro on a, on a radio single. But as the lead track on the album, like you said, the intro's great. I think this outro is even almost even better. Even more ingenious, anyway. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before, but uh, the outro goes on too long. <laughs> if you're going to have a seven-minute song, you have to justify it. And oh, they don't hear from me because... Oh, really? you, Okay, yeah, so you got like 20 seconds and just... Do, 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 and you're all right, here we go, get something cool. And you get... Da, 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 da. It's like, fuck, like, get into it, Tony, for fuck's sakes. 
you, yeah, like uh, there's. I didn't listen to the single edit. Obviously, I listened to the album edit. Seven minutes. Of course, long. yeah. Uh, this is my only nitpick with the song is that this section okay. goes on too long, and it's not really uh, as an uneducated music listener. It's not that interesting to me. Okay, and again, yeah, it, maybe it's the prog boy in me. I think it's the prog boy coming out. I just love it because so, I've, I've got loads of notes in this outro too, because there is stuff in here where it isn't sort of. I don't think it is completely static. It's not completely static because they're adding really fleeting pieces into this. And there's one um, four fourteen. It's a really cool descending synth line, and it's it's kind of this. It's what I think of the, as the solo, where this this initial bit is just stabs on the synth. But that four fourteen is where you get a. It's kind of what I think of as the solo. All right, let's check it out. See, and I'm cool with that. It just took like 40 seconds to get to that point. It's almost, it's funny because that's almost like a blues lick. You know, you could see, you could hear Joe Perry from Aerosmith playing a repeated four bar or, or, or single bar part four times as a solo. You could definitely hear that, right? Because that blues plays mm-hmm. that all the time. So that's what that, it kind of has that little uh, sense to me. Yeah. No, and that's cool. It just, it took a little long to get there. You okay, know. then if you just roll it forward at 4.30, I don't know if you clock this, but there's a glockenspiel, and I think it's in the left channel, if you listen to it. Um, okay. But it's, it's I've got to play it through, because I've got to comment about this afterwards. Okay. So, yeah, in between the monkey and bird sounds, you get the do, do, do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's weird because that's always I've we listen to this usually on uh, YouTube Music, and for some reason YouTube Music was throwing up the single at it, so I was like, well, I can't find it. So, so I went onto I think Spotify or something and found the Platinum Collection edition, and that little I think it's a Glockenspiel is mixed almost completely out. You can just about hear it, but it's really low, and I don't know why because it's always going to feature this song that I wait for. I'm listening. I'm waiting for that little just that little non secateur. Like what the fuck. There's no glockenspiel in the rest. It's not. It's just this weird little repeated three notes. It's this little accent that that, that kind of accentuates what's there, right? And that that's yeah. what makes music great. Uh, we're we're going to put in a little fucking. It's like uh, I'm a big movie buff, right? So when you got sound designers, uh, you know, and they're creating like a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex roar, we're going to throw a little bullfrog in there just because we need a little bit of this, or we're going to throw in a a fucking wailing goat <laughs> for no reason, you know, j- just to try a little accent the the. Uh, auditory experience, uh, which it works really well. And like I said, on the other side, you got like, you know, birds and like jungle sounds and shit happening, which is kind of cool yeah. too. Again, doesn't serve the song. You know, it, it services the song in that it, it just kind of livens up uh, the audio. Like it's those little nuances that that, that kind of make music great. Yeah. And it's because it's, it's, it's this again, it's a vibe thing, right? It's not because the song's done at this point, right? Really? There's no more lyrics. There's no verse chorus anymore. We're into this C section, this really elongated C section. So it's just a bit of flavor. They're adding these little things in. And so if you go to, I mean, again, 458, there's a really short little guitar interlude that goes into that alternate um, minor key riff that Tony plays on the, on the synth.
Now you listen to a lot more uh, early Genesis than I do. Surely, uh, compare like to me that sounds very Mike Rutherford. If I'm listening to the, some guitarist, you can tell by listening to him, right? I know when I hear a Slash yeah. song, I know when I hear a Joe Perry song, Brian May especially because of the Red Special. But I hear licks like that, and I think that's Mike Rutherford. Uh, compare that to like a Steve Hackett. Uh, like Steve Hackett, I I don't think was that kind of guitar player, was he? I don't think so. No, I mean. Rutherford's because he's a bass player, you know, by trade, that's his first instrument. I think that's why you get his his rhythm guitar playing being a lot more rhythmic. Where Hackett was his rhythm guitar playing was a bit more melodic and he was he added a bit more in, right? Well, that's really that's a tacky, right? Like it's a really just percussive. It's a percussive rhythm guitar part that Mike's playing, but again, absolutely perfect for this song. So yeah, we're talking about like you know stuff that we'd want to hear. I wonder how long they went on with Abacab. Maybe this was ten minutes that they just jammed out. Maybe I'd like to hear that. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, one of the little tidbits I read was uh, this song developed from a group jam session, and they're playing along to a loop electronic drum track, and they kept going until the tape ran out. So they <laughs> they jammed on this for quite a while. Figure it to a fifteen minute cut of Abacab. I'd be there for it, man. I'd be totally there for it. <laughs> so cool. The the next two hundred dollar box set you're picking up is the Abacab uh, reissue with uh, one song, the, <laughs> the <laughs> a three hour version of Abacab. There you go. Hell, that one I would buy. <laughs> oh God, yeah. All right, Kevin Brown, uh, Abacab. I fucking love this track. I thought it was a lot of fucking fun. Uh, musically, I gave it a nine. Everyone's playing great. It's structured really well. Uh, lyrically, I gave it an eight. I thought the lyrics were really cool. The chorus, especially. Uh, when we do it, you're never there. When you show it, just stop and stare. Abacabby's in everywhere. Like, it's just, it's structured so well. And this is one of those where it doesn't really matter what they're singing. What they're singing sounds cool. Yeah. So, and there's a few songs actually on this record. I had that. I thought that was the same thing. Um, for production, I'm giving it a solid three, only because I think you could trim a minute or a minute and a half out of it and just make it tighter, make it a little better. Uh, but I don't mind the journey they take me on for the full six minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> Abacab is just a great rocking tune and a fantastic opener. Yeah, I mean, I went musically, but it's a 10 for me. It's, again, it's, it's sort of why I listen to Genesis. It's these types of songs is why I listen to, and it's maybe this is a production thing, but I mean, it's a music thing, but the, the arrangements on this is just phenomenal. Like I said, there's so much space in this song that you can really hear everything, which again is a contrast to some of those earlier records where the mix was a bit washed out because you got so much going on. Everything's a bit busy with this. Everyone's just letting the song breathe. Right. Um, and again, I just don't know what else you'd want from this era of Genesis. It's, it's the sound of eighties Genesis distilled into, into seven perfect minutes. For me lyrics, I went to eight also. The, the one line that I love in this song and always have them is when they turn on the pillow, even when they answer the telephone. And it's when they turn on the pillow, because turn on, you think, turn on the light or turn on. So turn on the pillow as in, you know, tossing and turning in bed, I think is a, is a very, very clever line. And the fluff lyrics, but like you said, they're rhythmic and they work really, really well, you know. And again, it's, it's abstract. The, the artwork of the album is abstract. The title of the album is abstract. The title of the song is abstract. So that's what they're going for in the lyrics, and I like it. Production five for me, I, I just wouldn't change anything. I love the length of it. Um, I don't know. You said you checked out the performance video of this. Now, the way they end this is 
perfect. It, it, that's the way, actually, if you're going to end this without a fade out, this is the way you do it. Yeah! I know. How fucking cool is that, hey? <laughs> That's the shit. That's how you end that fucking song. And I love that Phil and Chester were on the drums and Phil just stand up, stand up, take your fucking bow, show over. Don't forget to tip your waitress. <laughs> but it's so cool because this song, obviously with that long extended outro, then you can turn that. What a great live jam, right? Because then Phil can go and sit on the kit with Chester. Now you've got yeah. the two guys playing off each other. It's perfect for that. All right, Mr. Brown, should we go to track number two? A little ditty called No Reply at All. First of all, Abacad played 294 times. Yeah. Uh, should have been more. That That's all I can say. Should have been more. <laughs> and it was, I think it was, yeah, 81 to 87. And they didn't do it because they didn't do it on the We Can't Dance tour, which really is a shame because, but again, I mean, when you get it to the, you know, that tour, you the catalog's so big and some of the songs are so long. Like you're already, like you said, the long and the shorts. You're cramming in, like you're already doing, I don't know, five, 10 minute songs. I don't know, can you put in an eight-minute song live? You know, I don't know. So 86, 87, this would have been done, uh, the Invisible Touch Tour. Give us a vinyl reissue of the, I think they did uh, Wembley. That was the uh, VHS, right? It was a Wembley yeah. show. So give, give us that reissued that on vinyl. A fucking amazing show, too. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think it's that one where he goes into that riff about, you know, oh, come on, everyone clap your hands. Don't worry about being uncool. Be uncool with Phil, you know. <laughs> <laughs> God, I haven't seen that uh, the, that VHS in in forever in a day. But what a great show! Like the the set list on those show were were unreal. I'm just going to bring up a sample here. Uh, open with Mama, and then Abacab at number two. They did Atlantic Confusion, like Jesus. And then to go from that, then that's all Domino into Deep, the Brazilian, fucking fantastic. Follow you, follow me tonight, tonight, tonight. Home by the sea, second home by the sea. Throwing it all away. Then you do the cage medley with supper's ready for no fucking reason in there then you got invisible <laughs> touch drum duet los endos and turn it on again is the encore sign me up those three isn't those are opening three songs wow can <laughs> you imagine oh my god <laughs> unbelievable oh, all right let's check out uh, track number two uh from abacab All right, when you think Phil Collins, you think horns. You know, we got horns on a Genesis song here. That's kind of cool. Yeah, well, and that was, you know, because Phil said he was working with the, so it's the Phoenix horns from um, Earth, Wind & Fire. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, well, you know, if we're going in a different direction, well, why can't we have horns on a record? It's our fucking record. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we'll get into this at the end of the album. I think that because there's horns on this song and nothing else, they stand out. And I don't know if it's in a, always in a great way. Um, Genesis never released standalone singles, which, you know, you think about like Paperback Writer and Day Tripper and all of those songs that the Beatles released. Back in the 60s, it used to be common to release non-album singles. I think this would have been a brilliant non-album single to release for my money. And again, we'll get into that at the end of the album about how we would sequence it and some of those issues. But I just think it doesn't really sound very much like Genesis. You know, it does sound a lot like Phil Collins, you know, especially but seriously when he went all in on the horns, you know, and I wish it could rain down and all those types of things. It sounds fantastic. I just don't know if it really, really suits Genesis. 
Well, no, and uh, Phil Collins even said he, he wanted to write a song that the Jackson 5 would have wanted to record. And he yeah. kind of had to direct the other guys in the band to kind of go in that direction because that's kind of outside their, their area of expertise. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Phil's like, I want to do like a Jackson 5 song. And Tony's like, who? And then they have to try. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's funny, though, too, because one of the things I had noted on this song is that, you know, this is, this not, this is not Mark Rutherford's wheelhouse at all. You know, sort of funky, dancey kind of vibes, but he plays a hell of a bass line on this song. Oh, that that bass work is phenomenal. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess I get hung up on these kinds of things, whether that's a chorus or a pre-chorus. Because this section now where it changes to the, that big, you know, full horns now, it's changed the the rhythm a little bit. This feels like is what it should be the chorus, but it's actually really is, it's a kind of a bridge, but not really because there is a bridge section in this too. So, I don't know, these prog rockers, man, and their fucking song structures, I just never know where I'm coming to go in half the time. Even in a short well, song think- like this. It's a good point because you would think, yeah, there's no reply at all. There's no reply at all is the chorus, but it's two lines. It's very short. It's very trendy. Yeah. And then you get into that that change. Like you said, it, it, it seems like, I don't know, too too big of a change to be the bridge. It almost seems like no reply at all is the bridge, and this is the, the chorus, like you said. I agree. Yeah. I blame Tony. <laughs> Maybe deep down inside, I'm trying for no one else but me. That is a phenomenal vocal. It's just fucking perfect. It's so good. You will get no argument from me. <laughs> and it sounds so Phil Collins, right? Like I said, this is, you know, we, we said on the last album, Duke was kind of, you know, could have been subtitled Phil Collins finds his voice. And this is really where he's very, very comfortable now. Now I can really belt and I can hit those high notes and crack my voice a little bit. I know how to do it. I know how to control it. And I know how to make it sound good. And he just nails it on this. And, and Phil wrote the lyrics to this too. And lyrically, that's great. Um, oh, but my back is up. I'm on my guard with all the exits sealed. Like, that's a great line. <laughs> it's a very good song lyrically. <laughs> and again, I mean, it's obviously another, you know, song about the wallowing in the misery of his, of his marriage breaking up, but set against this really upbeat, jangly pop song, which is a good trick if you do it either way, right? If you have a really dark lyric and a really bright and breezy melody, that counterpoint really, really works. And it's the work he's doing on the hat and the, and the symbols that, again, is, it always blows my mind. It's the control over how to get that hat open and closed just for that little brief part of a second to give the exact right accent to fill in that part of the rhythm. It's, it's just beautiful, man. That's like elite-level drumming. Even through in just a little uh, little four-beat section, didn't it? Just, just mm-hmm. to try and put a little flair in that section because it does get 
kind of uh, repetitive, this song. It, yeah. it was one of my, my nitpicks. It's It gets fairly repetitive. But I love little accents like that to just try and break up the monotony of that same refrain. There's no reply at all. You know, yeah. just, just to give a little life. I thought that was very cool. Totally. All right, Mr. Brown, what are you going to rate? No reply at all. Played 68 times only uh, by Genesis Live. That kind of surprised me. I thought it would have been more popular. I mean, all in 81 in support of the tour. I could see it because, again, you've got other, and especially once you get into Genesis and Invisible Touch, you've got better pop songs on those two records, right? If you get for those three, four minute songs that you're going to come out and get people who are coming only for the radio hits, they're probably going to be clapping along more than they are to this one. But a seven musically, I mean, again, the first chorus is only that one line, or is it the chorus, whatever. Uh, Phil's drum part's quite traditional. It's an R&B drum part, apart from when he goes into that sort of that bit of the outro, where he's kind of playing almost like a skiffle. It's like a, a loose kind of skiffle shuffle kind of thing. Um, I love the frenetic keyboard. Little, 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 little. Like it's a, that's actually really quite hard to play too. Um, no guitars in the mix on this one, but it, we said the bass is phenomenal. But to me, it's, it's the bridge that makes it when the piano comes in and everything else drops out. It's just, it's just beautiful. The lyrics very very simple a six i gave him talk to me look at me dance with me be with me listen to me so it's a you know and you've got an it's a funny like it's an a a a b a b c a so ah bad name for an album i'm glad they didn't go for that one um then to the outro <laughs> um 3.5 production i went the single edit for this one is actually shorter as well and it is a little bit tighter to be honest um it seems strange to quibble about you know four versus four and a half minutes but i think we're abacab all sounds great I think this one does benefit a little bit from tightening, which I don't know for me. So it also is great. No complaints, but nothing really stands out for this song for me. All right. Uh, musically, I gave it eight and a half. Uh, I thought the band was really good on this. I love the bass work uh, in those sections. And because Phil's, uh, Phil vocally uh, was yeah. really killing it. And uh, when he found his balls and started singing, that's when Genesis really soared for me. And like uh, on that bridge, like you mentioned, that was just a fantastic vocal. Probably maybe my favorite one on the entire album. Uh, yeah. So eight and a half for that. Uh, lyrically, I gave seven and a half because I thought it was it was clever uh, in the way it was phrased. Uh, the lines like, uh, uh, too stubborn to say the buck stops here. I'm not the one you're looking for. Uh, you know, my back is up. I'm on my guard with all the exit sealed. I really dug stuff like that. So I gave him yeah. a 7.5 on the lyrics. And production, I'm right there with you at three and a half. Um, you, you could maybe trim it up a little bit, but I didn't mind the length at 434. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. So eight and a half, seven and a half, and three and a half for me on no reply at all. So that takes us to our first um, solo contribution type song. This is uh, brought to the band by uh, one uh, Tony Banks. And it's called Me and Sarah Jane. So what did you, when you heard this then, obviously not probably, I think the first time you heard this song, I'm assuming then, was this listen through. What did you yes. think of this start? Because again, not, you've got now a drum machine, like these program synthy kind of drums. What did you think of that? Because obviously you'd be very familiar of it with it on um, uh, We Can't Dance in a couple of spots. But on this one, what did you think? How did it hit you? It was almost like a new Genesis uh, mindset with the old Genesis uh, way of doing things and that it was prog but it was trying to be progressive prog if that makes sense uh the, the, this to me was kind like of a it. throwback to uh wind and withering but with you know the, the the drum machine and everything so needless to say i wasn't a huge fan <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny too because i 
it's, it's a, a conspiracy theory, if you want to call it. It's not a fucking conspiracy theory, but I think that because obviously Phil comes in with um, the song on the second side. Oh, good Lord. I've, my mind's blanking. Uh, Man on the Corner, which really has that motif that the electronic drums and that are, 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 you know, that's one of the biggest parts of the song, sonically. I bet that they did that song first. And then they thought, actually, no, but I bet we could, if we throw that on that kind of similar type thing at the beginning of me and Sarah Jane, I think I bet you that leads into it really well. So I bet you they cannibalize that off the back of um, Man on the Corner. That's my, that's my, my guess, my uneducated guess. So we've had this weird intro, like it's an odd thing. Like you know, I don't know where this song's going. Then it breaks into a really quite a straight up pop riff. Like it doesn't. It sounds pretty. You know, it's accessible and everything. But then you get that little "Where Will You Go" that harmonies, which are just that's them just saying we love the Beatles unashamedly. We're going to throw a little melody line in that Paul McCartney definitely would have written. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I like get that you change. On that line, but. I, I didn't mind it either, but I, I I don't know if accessible would be the word I would use. Uh, to me, we're kind of getting more into proggy roots, right? We're okay. just kind of changing things up, and, and and lyrically, don't even get me started. It's a typical Tony Baker. <laughs> fuck off <laughs> i love the so it's cool though because again musically there's a counter melody that tony's playing here and he's putting the seventh note in and again you get those beatlesy harmonies in there so <laughs> if you love prog and you love sort of you know nerdy music stuff it's this song's a gem like it's, <laughs> it's there's a lot going on in it <laughs> All right, so so picture it. Uh, it's a young Kevin Brown. It's 1981. You're at the school dance. You see your high school crush across the dance floor, and and you ask her to dance, and this is what they play, and you're like bopping along to. And now I'm standing on the court. Like fuck, you're never getting laid. If hey, this is the, the shit they're playing at school dances. This is this is the kind of song that I would be able to dance because you know I, I dance like an epileptic horse on ketamine. So you know this song might work. <laughs> You, you gotta love that bass lick that he's playing though the off off beat because that's totally syncopated it throws off the rhythm a little bit i don't know man come on this is cool See, i like rhythm don't throw it off like it just seems so disjointed and and epileptic and, and phil sounds like crap and i keep thinking you and sarah jane don't have much of a uh future together uh if this is the kind of shit you're gonna put out <laughs> Here, here it gets me back a little bit because I'm, I'm kind of I love the the Sarah Jane the really nice melodic refrain yeah you know that and like and you're reminding yeah. me the uh, the ride symbol and yeah. like everybody's that you're making that face too like fuck yeah fuck <laughs> so it, it, the the song kind of got me back at this point are you familiar with a, a band called Madness Corey, yes like they're, yeah okay Scott, that's that bit do 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 that's kind of it's like a Madness scar vibe almost 
it's, it's those couplets, right? Coming I mean, that that really hard. I don't know. It just sounds really, really cool. And again, completely different to anything else that's been in this song. And that's what this song is: is schizophrenic or epileptic, whatever the word you you use there. It's it's absolutely right because it's all over the place. This song yeah, never sits pick- in one mode at all. Tony says, "I got these fifteen bits of songs. I'm just going to throw them in a blender and, yeah. and belch out a song, and, and this is it." But this section here, <laughs> I thought was kind of cool. So again, before we get into this, that section there, did, 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 that's them not, I, I'm, the more I listen to this, and even as I'm listening to it again now on this call, this is their Beatles homage. This is Fool on the Hill. That's what this is. Like, it's the same same elements. They're changing around and Genesis-ifying them, but it's a very Beatles-y song in a lot of ways, this song. I haven't heard Fool on a Hill in a long time. Isn't that a lot more straightforward? Like, it, it, it is, go but- through the... It is, but if you listen to it, there's, there's, it's hard to explain. It's not really, it's not exactly the chord progression or whatever it is, but there's a, there's a feel of it. There's, there's sort of the, you know, when you see someone, you know, there's the way someone looks, there's the way someone sounds, but then there's their gait. And that's a lot, it's harder to describe what someone's gait is. It's just the way they, they are, the way they inhabit their bones. And it's more of that kind of relationship that I, I see with just that section and Fool on the Hill and then some of the okay. harmonies and those things. So, yeah. Okay. That, that's so inventive, uh, rhyming round, round, round with down, down, down. Lyrical <laughs> genius, Tony Banks. <laughs> See, my notes for this section were the, it's just, I love the phased keyboard. And you can't, I, I don't get it because I'm not getting stereo in my, in my cans here, but it, you get that phase on the on the synth that sort of travels over the stereo spectrum that, again, I just, I'm not really paying attention to the lyrics. But <laughs> maybe, maybe I've got a, maybe I've got a block, Corey. Maybe when I, you know, when the lyrics are weak in Genesis, but if the music's great. Maybe I maybe I just start tuning out the lyrics. Maybe it's a problem. So this is an example of a song that I didn't like going into it, but about halfway through, it started getting better for me. Okay. And that builds all the way up into the outro. Like this song just progressively keeps getting better for me as we go. Awesome. One of the things I love about this bit too is it goes back to the court, me and Sarah Jane, he uses that line, but now it's over a completely different melody, different rhythm. Yeah. Everything's different about it, but he's using the same, it's that callback, right? So yeah, it's structurally, it's like I said, it's, it's all over the map. And it's hard to follow, but, and you you definitely can't dance to it. But no, but if you're going to tie it together like that, like I'm cool with that. Like if you want to completely yeah. change something up, as long as there's like a, a something that that, that kind of calls it back, it's like a Christopher Nolan movie. You know, you can mix up the the, the timeline in your movie as much as you want, as long as there's a something that that's going to tie back into it and make it all make sense. Yeah. And full credit to Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, he does that every single time. By the way, go see Oppenheimer. I saw it in IMAX, seventy millimeter film, fantastic. I heard online that someone say that this they think this is Robert Downey Jr.'s best career performance. Actually, he thinks that. 
Wow. And, and Robert Downey Jr. said, this is by far the best thing I've ever been in. And he was in Chaplin, which is one of his best well, performances. Which was my response on Twitter. It was, well, better than Chaplin. I mean, that's a role that is just, that's at a different level to anything that almost anyone else has done, I think. It's one of the greatest yeah. cinem- cinematic performances of all time. You know, no argument for me, absolutely. But yeah, I know he's fantastic in Oppenheimer. Great, great movie. I'll have to make sure I watch it. Goes to the eights on the kick, right? He's dun, 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 on the kick, which leads into this breakdown into a very mellow outro, which gets that reprise back to the man on the corner drum machine percussion that we started out yeah. with. So again, that, like said, that callback answer. and that taking all those ideas and, and at least trying to make them thread together. I think I think they did pretty well on this one. Uh, I gave it a six and a half for music, um, which, which which isn't bad. Um, they, they had a bunch of different, different elements and some of it worked together and some of it didn't, uh, beginning of the song, I think I was in a solid, like four or five territory. And then the second half of the song, <laughs> I was like s- into the seven, eight territory. So it averaged out to about six and a half for me, uh, lyrics, uh, typical Tony Banks lyrics. I gave it a six. Uh, this actually isn't bad. Uh, there's some stupid shit in here, but there's some good shit in here too. So a pretty solid effort for Mr. Banks, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, production, I gave it two and a half. Uh, the mix was a little wonky in some spots. I did like the padding effect uh, that, that went on that one part, if you're listening in stereo. Uh, and again, six minutes. Um, you could probably cut one of those little um, sections of the song that don't make any sense, that don't fit with the other two, and just lift it out. Like, again, I'm an editor, right? If there's something that, that doesn't tie the song together, like you tie the movie together, tie the TV show, you just lift it out. And there was maybe a section that first two minutes where they could have done that. But So I was six and a half, six and two and a half. I'm imagining yours are a little higher. I'm I'm getting I'm starting to think that you know you, you and Mr. Woods have a lot in common when it comes to editing and I think that you know had had either of you edited the return of the king it would have been a tight hour and a half movie like it would have been get rid of all these fucking fight scenes and all these fucking orcs and let's just get to the point let's get this movie you know what? over with do we need do we need the hobbits like really let's just get rid of them <laughs> Oh, I love it. Um, music for me, again, eight. I, I love there's a delay on Phil's vocal in the chorus section, which is cool. And I don't think it is his, his, his quote-unquote best vocal on the album. Um, but overall, it's a cool tune. I, again, I, I like complex, weird Genesis songs, so I like all the twists and turns. never really settles into one thing, and you're not really ever sure exactly what this bloody song is. The lyrics, <laughs> what did you say? Stupid uh, six. shit. <laughs> That's typical it, Tony Banks uh, lyrics. Okay, here's what I think this song's about, and is it? It's this. This is. It might be a stretch, but I think it's a soldier at war who's invented an imaginary girlfriend or love interest to just sort of take him out of the situation he's in and give him something to fantasize about. And if you read it with that lens, I think it sort of makes sense. I think that might work because <laughs> they're very abstract, but I, I kind of like them. I don't know. I tell you what, that that actually makes sense because there's that, uh, and now I'm standing on the corner waiting in the rain, but then in sunlight without warning, I invent a name, yeah. me and Sarah Jane. So yeah, that would make sense. Which I mean, it's probably absolute bullshit, but yeah. So eight for music, seven for lyrics, and I'm at four for production. Again, you know, 
with different, you would, I think you're dead right too. With different production and instrumentation, you could easily imagine this on Trick of the Tail, Wind and Wuthering, or and then there were three. It would definitely fit with the the, the mood of all of those. Um, it's the smallest departure from all Genesis of any song on this album, in terms of sort of scope and ideas and everything. But you know, there's lots of different in, uh, interesting sections. Now, I would have the one thing I kind of docked it for definitely was I would have loved to hear a little bit of Mark Rutherford in this because you don't really yeah. hear him at all. Even the bass is quite muted, quite yeah. subdued, and there's no guitar at all in it, right? So. Yeah, I did have that note. I forgot to mention it. Where the hell's Mike? And that was actually on a couple of uh, different tracks. Even on No Reply at all, where are the guitars? Like, yeah. yeah. Little something, something. But we got one more track on side A of Abacab. And hey, do you like weird songs about guys who go forward in time and then have to come backwards in time and lie about it? <laughs> Me either. But here's one called Keep It Dark. <laughs> So they, the band kicked in on a different beat there, didn't it? Because you're expecting it. It's like, turn it on again. You're ready to clap along, and then it's like, fuck, I'm like a beat and a half off. <laughs> this is a nightmare because you've got a 4-4 drum loop. So, I mean, obviously, you would have, you'd have learned this. Is this was a, It was part of a drum part that Phil had played, but they thought, that is fucking cool, that little section you played there. So they just looped that. So that it's just a drum loop. He's not playing this live. It's not played all the way through. It's a drum loop. But then you've also got this Mike Rutherford guitar thing, which fucked if I can count it. It's definitely not in 4-4. Four, four. And then they put that over top of it, and they come in offbeat. It's a really, really weird song um, structurally. Like, it's a very odd one to try to wrap your head around. It's I wanted to ask you about, about the time signature, because I thought it was 6-4, but that was just for me counting. I wasn't sure if that was close to right or not. The, the, drum, the drum loop is 4-4. Four, four. Like, it's a four-bar... Yep drum loop for sure and then the guitar's almost seven four but it it kind of isn't at the same it might be six four with three two i don't know exactly what it is because he also plays behind the beat right he's played dun, dun. He's, he's just behind the each beat it's like fuck me i don't know what to do with this you know there's a song later on this album we're going to talk about the tony always had trouble finding the one he could never find the one this one i struggle with i really always do i always come in too early Again, we talked about with Abacab, or we in the last song, you know, song structure's tricky. If you go to 44 seconds, this song's got a really weird song structure too. So there's a bit here where you've got this, the harmony vocal part in there, but I don't know whether this is part of the verse or whether it's, again, part of the pre-chorus. Is it part of the chorus? So you've got this section now where it's like, well, that's not what we were doing earlier. It's not the same chord progression, but it's definitely not the chorus. Yeah. So I don't know what it is. It's just weird. It's this weird little sort of second half of the verse. I don't know. Why do you describe this? I'm not too sure. So, but I love it. I like that. Uh, it's almost, underneath, like the, you know. The, the, the first bit is the pre-verse that leads into the <laughs> there verse. You go. Let's call it that. Yeah. <laughs> and then into the pre-chorus and then oh keep it dark is the chorus just that line. <laughs> All the that to me. 
it's almost like jazz because they're all playing different fucking time signatures. They're all over the place. Tony's playing, well, I mean, Tony's playing straight, but he's playing off the beat, you know, in between the, I don't know, where the fucking in between the four and the one or the one and the two or something. And you've got Mike playing, he's not playing that lead lick anymore, but it's just, it's such an odd song. And what's cool about this is, I think, and again, I was going to hold this to the end, but this was a single, and I think this is a really cool pop song in a way because you don't really notice how complicated it is until you start actually really listening to it. You don't notice, like a casual listener wouldn't notice that everything's fucked and everything's out of time and everything's weird, right? You don't, and I, I, don't, I didn't actually know that it was a drum loop. I thought it was probably a live drum kit. So there's so much cool stuff going on in a, in a really what sounds like a simple song that definitely isn't. No, and even the the story they're telling about a guy who has been to the future and has seen a bright, happy world full of people, their hearts full of joy, cities of light with no fear of war, and then he comes back and has to lie about it. I'm like, well, that's depressing. Like, it, it it should have been an optimistic song. It ends up being quite pessimistic. What well, is it f- the future though? Because I think didn't Tony say that it was almost like an extraterrestrial thing where it was. You know, it was Tony that actually said it was the future because okay. at, at first a lot of people assumed it was uh, an alien okay. uh, encounter. But uh, there was a, a DVD uh, that came out in the uh, 07 re-release of Abacab. And uh, I'll, I'll read the exact quote. I found it right okay. here. Tony Banks said, the idea was that this character had to pretend that he had just been robbed by people. And that's why he disappeared for a few weeks. And in fact, what had happened was he had been to the future and gone to this fantastic world where everything is wonderful and beautiful and everything. But he couldn't tell anybody that because no one would believe him and the powers that be kept him silent. Okay, yeah, I thought, I've always and I've always interpreted it the extra extraterrestrial way as well, or or not alien or whatever, or like a different dimension or a different realm or something, because it's almost like a little bit of a throwback to Trick of the Tail when you get into this sort of big major key lift in the in the chorus with those with those synth pads. You could almost imagine the beast with his horns being sort of in that bright future there, because you know the city of gold and all this kind of stuff. So there's always been like a, a small little tie-in for me in this one. Mm-hmm. Cool, nonetheless, but. Oh, that that's so eighty sounding. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you've got all that s- stuff going on, right? Because they've got that same, and they do this a lot in this song where it is that one drum loop, but they there's a few places where they modify it or they'll put effects onto it or they'll add these little sort of you know percussive elements into it. But I just I love that line. Oh, keep it du- keep it dark, you know, keep quiet about it. So you yeah. can almost imagine that's what he's been told. When you go back, keep it dark. I, I like the idea. I thought that was a little too weird, but I guess if we're talking about you know traveling to the future and then back again. Yeah, it, it kind of fits the the mood of the song. It, it it just it reminded me of like a fucking Wham track or something. Just you know, oh Hall really? Oates. Yeah, like <laughs> out of touch from Holland Oates. It, it just so so stereotypically eighties at that moment there. I don't know. Oh wow! Okay. Not that that's a bad thing. I grew up in the eighties. I love the eighties. So it's not that I didn't like it. I it just really kind of dates the song for me. You still have to So you've got those eighth notes again right now. This is definitely synth now, but you've got the same thing now. Where it's keeping those eighth notes, which is, again, it's very percussive. It's Tony thinking, you know, the drums rock on this album. I'll not get in the way too much. I'll just add to them. And instead of playing that eighth on a on a hi-hat, I can do that on the synth, and it's going to, you know, add a little bit of color to it, which I think is very, very cool. We know keyboards are a percussive instrument, as we found out on the last Van Halen uh, broadcast. <laughs> they can be. When Eddie Van Halen plays them, they fucking are. Prick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up. My next one was 313. Um, 
and with a focus on Phil's vocal and then a nice little sort of arrangement trick that they do. See, and I love that, man, because they drop the kick out too, right? So now you get that drum uh, loop is dropped out altogether. Now you just get that additional percussion in. It's like industrial. It's almost like an industrial thing, right? Yeah. But I just think I just think that those little things where you change just that one piece, you know, because you could do the same thing. You could keep that kick snare in and that additional percussion. But when you when you just drop one thing out, it just makes the song move a little bit more. I don't know. And that, that, that vocal is phenomenal. Because he just keeps okay. going up and up and up and up and up, and then he hits the falsetto, and it's just transcendent. But he did so much uh, falsetto in the early uh, records that we listened to on this show. Uh, this is probably his best use of it, I thought. He sounded great. But I think Trent Reznor owes uh, Phil Collins 20 bucks or something, because I was reading Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a band I don't listen to very much. I Me either, but I, I, I don't know that one anyway, song. <laughs> the, the, going into the Oh, Keep It Dark, it, it just reminded me of, uh, and someone's going to, Totally disagree with me, and they would be right to do so. But for some reason, Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails popped in my head. Well, it's funny, you know. I mean, it's a good talk, a good time to talk about Phil Collins, maybe as a drummer and as a percussionist. He's kind of had a he had a bit of a renaissance a few years ago, where people started using a lot of his drum licks in samples in rap and hip hop and all kinds of things because people recognize that actually this guy's a fucking beast. This guy wrote some brilliant, brilliant drum parts. He, Lars Ulrich, he is not. He knows how to write for the song, and he's got all these things we can extract and take out, right? So, I don't know. I think that's very, very cool. And this is one of them that he's doing it to himself. He's taking, a, like, a drum loop. When you got Phil Collins, would seem like, well, why the fuck are you doing that? No, you know, play the goddamn song. You know, it's like the same in Queen. Why are you using drum machine when you got Roger Taylor? Well, sometimes there's a good reason for it, and sometimes it works. And I think that yeah. didn't Tony Banks had said that because they use a drum loop and the guitar riff is very repetitive, it gives it that sort of inhuman relentlessness that he was looking for to sort of describe this story and this journey that this that the character in the song goes on. Yeah, no, it, it fits totally. Dreams of a future with meaning and no need to hide, you know, fits the theme. But you mentioned Lars Ulrich. Do we want to play the clip of What If Lars Ulrich Played In The Air Tonight by Phil Collins? I think we should do that at the end of the show, definitely. I think we 100% okay. definitely should do that. Yeah, keep it dark, man. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll go first because it's another it's another slam dunk for me, Corey. I'm a, I'm a 10, 10, and 5 on this, which I know is going to... Holy That cow. might even surprise you on that one. That did. That really did. It's one of my favorite Genesis songs from this era. Like, it's, a, I'd say it's a top 15 Phil Collins era Genesis track for me. I think it's incredibly inventive, and the lyrics are phenomenal. You know, a world full of people, their hearts full of joy, cities of light with no fear of war, thousands of creatures with happier lives and dreams of a future with meaning and no need to hide. I mean, that's a utopia we can all get behind, right? That's what we're all sort of, I hope that the human race would be striving for. I mean, clearly, clearly it fucking isn't. But if we all pull together, it's the Star Trek, it's Roddenberry's vision of what humanity could be. 
And I think that that lyric is beautiful and it's interesting and it's this weird sort of science sci-fi idea. Musically, I just think the inventiveness of what they did with this song, of, of all the different parts that really shouldn't work together, but they bring them together into a fucking pop song that they release as a single. I wouldn't change a note of this track, and I think the production, again, it's it's inventive, dark, brooding, yet it's still melodic and it's a cool story, so nothing to change. So 10, 10, and 5. Do your worst, Corey. Disappoint me. One, one, and one. No, <laughs> you, you know what? I'm going to the Cardinals needs a word. That's <laughs> Uh, no, musically, I gave it a six. Uh, there was a okay. lot of elements about the song I liked. It's definitely above average. Uh, there, there was some I didn't. Uh, the whole uh, refrain of, oh, keep it dark. Like I said, very 80s sounding. I thought I was listening to a Kate Bush record or something uh, there for a minute. Whoa, which, whoa, whoa, the, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's wrong with Kate Bush? <laughs> you know, I don't know a lot of Kate Bush, uh, obviously, other than I watch Stranger Things and I've heard Running Up That Hill a hundred times the last couple of years. But um, six for me for music, six and a half for lyrics. I didn't mind the, the story they were telling me. I didn't like, though, that, you know, here was an opportunity to be optimistic about a future and instead it was pessimistic that you know we, we can't strive for that don't tell anybody about it just sit, tell people you were robbed that whole negative slant to it uh you know i was, I was hoping for a more hopeful uh, okay. situation where he, he could come back from the future and say this is what we could strive to be and maybe turn mankind around as opposed to now we're going to keep everything shitty you can't know how things could be good in the future you, you watch too many marvel movies you like happy ending hey yeah maybe maybe that's <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that. Absolutely. And then uh, production, I, I gave it a three. Uh, you know, it's not bad. It's not great. I thought it was pretty decent. Okay. Uh, Phil's uh, lyrics, I thought, kind of get drowned out a little bit, especially in the opening refrain. Uh, and even in the falsetto, uh, you know, you can bump that up in the mix, maybe a little bit more, make it a little okay. more prominent. It was kind of tough to hear, uh, even with headphones on. So that's why I docked it a couple marks on production. But overall, uh, side A of Abacab, um, was really kind of night and day for me. The first two tracks I liked quite a bit. Uh, the second two, to me, didn't hit quite as well. Uh, so my averages for side A are seven and a half for music, seven for lyrics, and three for production, which is not too bad at all. Kevin Brown, what were your averages for side A? Mine was significantly high. So 8.75, which I've rounded up to nine. Uh, lyrics, 7.5. And production 4.5 rounded up from 3.75. Oh, wow. so, so I've got <laughs> 9, 7.5, and 4.5. Like I said, I mean, we can talk about, you know, maybe we'll talk about sequencing a little bit more at the end of the second episode because then we'll have all the songs on this record. But No Reply At All, I think, is a really, really great song. I just think, again, it's like, what was the song on Duke, the Misunderstanding? It does mm -hmm. the same thing that Misunderstanding does on Duke. It just takes you out of the record at that point, at a crucial point. Um, so that, that's my sort of criticism of side one. I, I, it's one of my favorite sides of any Genesis record. So, and I think it probably my highest rated today because overall that's a 21 from me, Corey. Yeah, I would think uh, for sure that's probably your highest rated uh, so far. Man, this is going to be a good score for you on, on Abacab. This is going to be interesting because side two, uh, it was a little different of a journey uh, for myself not to tip my hand too much but we're gonna have some interesting conversations in that kevin's gonna tell me to go fuck myself quite a bit when we get into side b of abacab side two of abacab might make me lose my fucking mind i mean that's just <laughs> it may be that i just lose my mind completely and i might not be able to podcast anymore Corey, because i just i'm too conflicted and too confused there you go. Tune in for that. But as promised, <laughs> Kevin Brown wanted to hear What If Lars Ulrich played In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. <laughs> this is so good. In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. He's doing the pointing yeah, and everything. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> Sticking he's the tongue out. Oh, uh -huh. 
<laughs> it's so good, man. It's so fucking good. Oh, well, he's doing the, the pointing and the tug. I'm like, all right, he's got the mannerisms down, and then the crash. One, two. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the man could not write a drum fill of his fucking life depended on it. <laughs> and you know what, Chas Mataz, if you do end up listening to this, I'm sorry, but I'm right on this. I'm right on this, you know. <laughs> I tend to agree, Kevin. And I don't mind Lars Ulrich at all, but uh, yeah. th this guy totally nailed it. <laughs> well, you know, before we uh, before we wrap things up tonight, Corey, I've got something. I didn't tell you about this because I wanted to spring it on you. I've got a little okay. thing. I've got a little. You like to put little games into your into your other podcasts. Okay, so I've, come, I've come up with a little game to play, um, and it's called And Then There Were Three. So what's going to happen is I'm going to give you the names of two other artists or bands in addition to Genesis, and what you have to tell me or try to tell me is which one has more monthly listeners than Genesis on Spotify and which one has fewer. Okay. So you've got, obviously, Genesis, mm -hmm. Stevie Nicks, and The Police. So which of Stevie Nicks and The Police has more monthly listeners than Genesis, and which one has fewer? You know what? I'm going to go... Part of me it feels like a trick question. I should go Stevie Nicks more and Police fewer. But I don't know if I can. Uh, I'm going to go The Police has more listeners than Genesis and Stevie. You are correct. Okay. So Genesis <laughs> has 7.5 million monthly listeners. Stevie has 5.5 million. The Police have 25.4 uh, million. Wow, so I didn't think it'd be that big more. of a spread. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I, I know the police are great, obviously, and that's a band we may have to cover on the show. I know you just picked up a few uh, police albums yourself, didn't you? There, I picked up the the four that I didn't have. Everything up to Synchronicity, so I already had Synchronicity. So I picked up um, Outlander, Stamor, um, Zanyana Mandata, Regarded the Blank, and Ghost in the Machine, and they are. Very nice. I mean, we're definitely doing the police at some point, Corey. We are definitely doing the police at some point. You know, in those early records, I haven't heard a ton. Like, I'm, Synchronicity, I know inside out. Like, th that was, I was alive yeah. when that album came out, and that was, they, <laughs> they were the biggest band on the planet uh, were, when, yeah. when Synchronicity dropped by far. That was such a huge monster album. Man, and we talk about, you know, again, as to um, how hobbyist drummers, let's talk about Stuart Copeland lots because, you know, we've been, Holy we've been, cow. it's been a loving on Phil Collins. It'll be just as big a loving on Stuart Copeland. So, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. One of the best drummers, period. End of story. Okay, well, you know what? I think we should call it, Corey. I think we should uh, let these people get to their homes or go to their beds or, you know, kick the sheep or whatever. The, if there's any Welsh people listening, maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. I'm going to get in trouble now with the Welsh people, aren't I? Um, that's it for this week, folks. Uh, don't forget to come and check us out on Facebook at Ultimate Catalog Clash and on Twitter at U Catalog Clash. You can find me at The Tom Petty Project on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at Tom Petty Project on Twitter and at Seaside Pod Review on Facebook and Queen Seaside on Twitter for my other two shows. Corey. Where can the people find you and all the million and one things that you do? Well, it's only three for right now, plus this show, but one of them is called And the Podcast Will Rock. Me and my friend Mark Meyer are breaking down the entire Van Halen catalog. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty, too, uh, on that one. Just 30-some tracks left to go. You can find us at www.podcastwillrock.com and Podcast Will Rock on all your favorite social media platforms. Even threads, I think. I don't know. I think Mark may have started the threads. That may Ooh. be a thing now that Twitter is uh, Exeter or whatever we're supposed to call it now. <laughs> it's the. I, I think Elon Musk may be the dumbest human on the planet. I don't oh, know. my God. He's just insufferable. 
it's 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 wrong. that's another whole podcast but elon musk if you're listening you're a fucking moron and you, <laughs> oh you're just a blithering idiot i also do a show called backtrack Smith revisited with one uh, scott haskin breaking down the aerosmith catalog and backtracks theme music with john mariano we're talking all of our favorite music and movies uh if you want to yell at me online i'm at cd marset on the ex <laughs> twitter it's called twitter let's just keep calling it twitter it's still okay, twitter.com twitter. the url is still yeah. twitter.com so fuck that it's but the you know, ex- suite of the week i don't know how, how randy's gonna <laughs> sing that now he's doing some more he's gonna get some more done for us but uh but yeah no folks honestly um i love all of Corey's shows and i listen to them all religiously but and the podcast will rock is the best music podcast uh on the internet so you should definitely go check that out 100 percent so um, until we meet again next week to do side B of Abacab, stay safe, and we'll uh, we'll see you then. We'll talk about some more Genesis tunes, and it's going to be I don't know, dude. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to next week. I'm kind of not looking forward to next week. 